right. We we've had so many background noises historically in this podcast. When we were in person, <laughs> I literally want the ASMR during yeah. the in-person <laughs> recording. Like quite like <laughs> like, but it wasn't even for the beginning. It was like a whole episode too. <laughs> The uh, but what what would Kevin Thelwell's like uh, Twitch username be? You know, like how James Comey had like that Reinhold Niebuhr nerd yeah. shit that like Ashley Feinberg undug. Thelwell Thelwell would would have something. Uh, he his his brother or like uncle father somebody who follows me on Twitter is a Liverpool fan, and he's he appears from to be to be from either North Wales or Cheshire. So yeah. Crew, Crew Alexandra fan book it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually Kevin Bellwell was fired in a scandal after it's revealed that he has a Twitch username showing an ironic reverence for John Sutton. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then all, all of his books are actually plagiarized from John Sutton's tweets. Yeah, he he, uh, he writes a lot about. I mean, not. I guess there's not a whole lot of loaded comic value, but he writes some uh, disproportionate amount in his uh, coaching manuals about the '90s Scotland national team under <laughs> under Craig Brown and uh, uh, you know the team the team that Gaza sombreroed and just you know never did anything really much at any level except qualify and get spanked at some tournaments uh wait does he really what's that does he really write about this yeah he uses them as like one of his main examples for how like the 352 is supposed to work damn um but uh i feel like i have a lot i have a lot of um a lot of honking um going on outside uh today but that's actually not unusual for being in from the old times too, right? And even on the twelfth floor, that was kind of good. Yeah, I kind of miss it. That's true. Peaches there was in the hustle and bustle of downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, we really guys- well that one time that like it, we were telling a story about Caesar Sayoc or something, and like a chase like was reaching a crescendo, and then an <laughs> yeah. ambulance yeah. went by. Yeah. It was great. I, I placed my my bomb set very very well timed for that. But, I don't. Um, I don't think uh, our listeners know how, um, like, uh, meticulously I put in these special effects in the background. Yeah, it takes hours. That's why. That's why the podcast is <laughs> always late. <laughs> Fifteen minutes before kick. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, we don't have to deal with that anymore because soccer's over. So yeah, I guess we, we should, let's get started. So. Episode 169, nice, I don't know, 100 nice, of you from 202, end of the season, season, uh, we're here, it's it, it's graduation day, we're all hugging goodbye, H- hags, have a good summer, have a good winter, uh, you know, the music swelling in the background, bittersweet, it's the big crescendo, the biggest, most important season meaningful season of our lives how are we going to think about moving to the next phase of our lives and this has been such a formative experience for us the 2020 mls red bull season where everything was so stable and easy to understand 
we are uh, coming on the heels of Rebels losing to the crew about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I don't know. Three, two. Um, and we're after the roster releases. It's Britt, Peaches, uh, Sam, and Cork talking about all these things. So I think I think for this for this episode, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Columbus a little, maybe the lineup and stuff. Then talk about the roster moves, kind of with an eye towards off season, next season. Maybe channeling a little bit of last week's episode, kind of about the midfield and stuff. Um, and then we even have an email this week and another question that someone sent us. So we'll pin that for the end. I think that's the or- vague order of operations. How, how are you guys doing this week? Are you, are you reassured by seeing um, Boris Johnson and Barack Obama take the vaccine on air? Or do you need to see Kevin Thelwell do it in a press conference first before you do it? I mean... Um, when Barack Obama started drinking the Flint water, that's when I um, thought that all water was safe too. So, I'm worried that the city of Flint is going to, you know, snatch Kevin Thelwell away from us to be, you know, the new city manager. But, uh, um, yeah, wouldn't be the worst move they could make. But, uh, you know, um, I I just hope that whenever, you know, we do get the vaccine, that Kevin is one of the first people to get it, you know, whether he's on, on camera or not. Um, just, you know, the knowledge that he has it uh, would, would put me and, and my family at rest. Mm-hmm. Essential as a frontline front worker. Front worker, he probably yeah, gets priority. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would need Gerhard to take it. Um, otherwise, I, I don't know about, I'm, I feel uncomfortable. Um, I just need yeah. a kind of like wholesome, reassuring appearance um uh you know uh, to take it live i think i would that would, that would seal the deal for me mm-hmm. personally i'm holding out for the independent open pyramid grassroots version of the vaccine to be produced by rocco camizo so you guys can enjoy your some brain chip being put into your bodies uh i'm going to be enjoying a beautiful kingston stockade game uh in my mind palace after i take my beautiful vaccine but um fingers crossed Fingers crossed for the vaccine. Maybe we'll be able to actually go to a game at Red Bull Arena next year. Ooh, that's weird to think about. The Red Bulls, uh, this this Columbus game. Let's let's get it out of the way. So they lost three two. Um, I think the most interesting angle to hit it from is the lineup because last week our main question, I think, was. If, you know, we have a Red Bulls game where you need to win one game straight up, given the fact that it's been so hard to tell what is our best lineup, how do you how do you approach a game like that, especially with Struber being brand new? Um, and I think all, a lot of us were like, Jesus, I don't know, and just gave it a good guess. But we did, lo and behold, get a starting lineup uh, that on paper, I think, makes a lot of sense. But um, the one the one X factor for me or the one highlight is that Kaku and CCJ don't feature in it. And the fact that it's both of them makes me think that that is still a product of them coming back from the international duty. If it were one of them, I could I could see one of them not making it into the lineup, either one, to be honest. But the fact that both of these guys don't make it into the lineup and then come into the game suggests to me that even though this was a win 
or die situation, we still kind of got an asterisk brokered lineup in Gerhard Struber's first game. Is that am I is that some sort of Kool-Aid? Is that too is that is that too hopeful? Is that too zone? Is that too fake season? What do, what do you think about this midfield of Velo, Clark, Royer, Davis, and Yearwood? I'm a little surprised with Clark on uh, starting, I think. Because I, I, I think, Britt, to your point, like, it would make sense to me if CCJ didn't start. Like, like part of that seems fine. Like, if there's Davis and Yearwood, two players who've, like, been there and I think are ones that Struber would look at as, like, you know, steady players in the in the in in that, like, bottom of the midfield. Um, but I, I am surprised that Kaku doesn't start. Um uh, in that position. Um, and to, if we're only talking midfield for right now, I think that was the one thing that threw me off. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, Clark, I think definitely has proved it or proved worthy of a spot. And indeed he scores the first goal of the game. Um, but if Kaku was going to get, I don't know what, what minute did he come in again? He got like, at least like, he got like 38 minutes, right? Um, yeah. I, you would have figured he would have been fit enough to start. I mean, I have right. to wonder how much of it is um, Struber literally not seeing those guys in training until what, like Thursday at the earliest or something. Um, maybe, maybe even later because of you know the quarantines and everything. And yeah, I think that that is a major factor of both. Yeah, both. You know, yeah, maybe maybe the fatigue wasn't as much of the case because yeah, like you said, they did put him in for for about a half hour or so, but. Uh, um, the, the, the mixture of, yeah, the quarantine and just everything, the, the travel and not being able to train Struber only had a you know, few days with, you know, the guys who didn't go on international break and he seemed to be in his, his press conference a little bit, you know, he, he seemed to, uh, you know, gesture a little bit towards wanting to respect, you know, the guys who at least, um, he, he had some idea of, and, you know, some idea of what to expect and, and yeah. all that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have to then, you know, and then in that case, you know, agree with your premise, Brett, that I think we did get a little bit of a compromised version of what we should expect from Struber. And I think, I think it was always going to be the case anyway, because we were going to see some movement in this off season anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the very, the very fact that Struber was even thrown into this game with only a few days of training. Cause I, cause I think on a pure, you know, uh, you know, completely putting like on a, on a short term win now level, I think a better plan would be to stick with, you know, on a, you know, just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm losing myself here, but, but on a, on a strictly win now level, sticking with Carnell and the continuity that he has with the team and familiarity with it. He has with the players is more, you know, conducive to winning that game than throwing in Struber with only two or three days. Um, yeah. So I think on that level, we were never going to see a win now team. We were never going to see a full version of what Struber, you know, would want this squad to look like, you know, if he had his brothers. Yeah. I'm really glad that Struber also treated this or I guess like the whole organization also treated this as extended preseason in a way. Um, glad to see that we're validated in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even that aspect is, is still harder for me to read. I, I, I don't know. It, it is just, so, it is so fundamentally weird to have Struber arrive a couple days before um, 
like this. And um, it does make you wonder, you know, what we, we could have easily just like stretched the truth and maybe like, you know, said, oh, he wasn't ready to join for another week. But then I guess, you know, if we win, if we had kept winning games in the playoffs, it would have become, it would have pushed the issue, I guess, of like, well, what is it? Is he not available because of paperwork or have you just decided to defer to next year? So like maybe they just bit the bullet with that. There's I don't no, know. There's no like losing scenario for him, right? Like if yeah. you lose the game like we did, whatever, uh, you know, it is, it's an extended preseason. If we win, I mean, and then it looks good. The team, you know, gains a little bit of momentum and, and has a little more fun in the playoffs. I, I can't see it being a downside in either scenario. It's just a little weird. But I think yeah. the whole, given that the whole season's been so fucking weird that like it, it's, it's not you know i'm not i'm trying to like i'm not trying to look into it too too much yeah yeah i can't i can't be too crushed by this game because honestly at at this uh point like losing to columbus which is a stable team that has its first team manager in place for the second year with another year of kind of building it around put in a solid shift over the little weird season that we had um playing against a team that's had a totally atrophied squad or like from, from its height, you know, of 2018 roster, it's been slowly replaced awkwardly with different pieces and been mismanaged in the midfield with guys like Kaku and Parker and all these weird pieces. Then the manager is fired. Then we have a weird interim period and then the manager gets hired and he's been away. And then he shows up three days before. And also two of our bigger players, uh, are showing up two days before the game. It's just like so many asterisks and weird things compared to Columbus, which is, I mean, look, Zardes, Santos, Artur, Zela, Ryan, uh, Nagby, awful, all uh, Valenzuela, all guys that have been there for like a while and figuring yeah. it all out. It, it, you know, it's, you can't, you can't really be surprised. And especially looking at other teams that lost. I mean, it's like, um, I mean, not to not to beat the dead horse of like playoffs being a weird lottery, but like especially with this, it's you can't you can't be too heartbroken about this anyway. I don't think you would have expected us to win, but maybe you know, looking towards next season, I will say, and I think we'll talk about this later in the episode, that you know, starting next season, it is it is time to win and it's time to do expectations and have standards and stuff. Uh, but this with this this short turnaround, it's like man, yeah, who. who who knows? At least we scored goals. At least we put up a fight, you know, like, yeah. like we didn't, we didn't just totally collapse in my opinion. I thought we played well. I mean, and, and I think that we were, you know, we had some confidence after the Clark goal too. I think that, yeah. it, you know, it would be a different game if we didn't go into the half conceding that penalty and kind of taking the wind out of our sails. Um, I, I feel like uh, it, it looked very different as soon as we got out, um, uh, you know, into the second half. Um, and, and that penalty, I mean, like, how, is that Drew Yearwood's third conceded penalty this season? Yeah, it's close. I mean, it's not a handball this time, but he, um, that is something that he could work on. Um, I mean, I, I and, love the energy, right. But like, yeah. it's just, it's just a little, it's just not, not totally polished. Right. I mean, he's still really young. So it, some of that is to be expected to some extent. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. We've we've also heard about players, uh, particularly from 
you know, Struber or not Struber, uh, Yearwood coming from the lower levels of England. We've heard about players having to get adjusted to MLS referees and, you know, having stuff that they've gotten away with. And I, that goes with any league, not just MLS, but like, you know, yeah. players getting away with yeah. stuff in other leagues that they're not, you know, they're, they're getting tacked on here and just, you know. Although with this um, one, I will say that the Yearwood foul here isn't really, it's not so much a yellow card or egregious thing. It is sort of just being late and having a sort of normal foul. But yeah. what it reminds me of also is the Blaze Matsuidi um penalty yeah. that they conceded against us where that was just i laughed about it a lot on the show afterwards it's just clear as day normal foul not a dangerous foul or anything but very normal obvious foul in the box and as as shep and steve reminded us a million times on that broadcast <laughs> Blaise Matsuidi is a uh, world champion if you haven't heard world cup winner uh so it's like not a lack of quality there but i think it fits maybe into my read of of our defense on the whole, where it's like Struber, to say the least, has not had time to build any sort of uh, like team defense or team scheme or pressing scheme or kind of just shape that he wants to do. We've kind of been playing that pickup thing more. And I think yeah. that does uh, abet a scenario where you have midfielders uh, like Velo in the first couple of games, kind of just not tracking back as much because they're not used to it or not as aware or like yearwood or matsuidi i think in that game with the disorganized messy miami just arriving late to some places and just doing a lot of running yeah. that can can encourage that um and looking at all the goals that we gave up too i mean um i i, I just think we're not we're not playing team defense right now and especially considering the struberfest articles on how he's played at previous places in in barnsley and um other like german austrian outfits that he's he's done a little bit like i think it's apparent we are going to have a team defensive scheme so you know i i, I think it was going to be an uphill task on playing against a solid team anyway i think we saw that against nycfc which is um low ceiling but very in my opinion solid team that lost hilariously in the playoffs and i think we saw that against columbus here too so we'll see i don't know i, I think the fact that you see guys like Parker nonetheless kind of recover their form can only be a good thing. But um, I think, yeah, we're just not playing team defense yet. And there's, it's hard to say anything else. Yeah. But when it comes to scoring goals, we do, um, we see another start for Tom Barlow at top, up top. Um, Brian White comes in later and scores another late goal. Danny Royer makes an appearance in the starting lineup again, uh, which I don't think that necessarily confirms Danny Royer is here to stay for the plans, although his option was picked up as well. But it would seem to, um, you know, it's not sending that signal we talked about in last episode, where it's like if Royer didn't start in a playoff game like that for that at this age, at this stage of his tenure for the club, that would seem to communicate something. The fact that he starts is kind of like, okay, he's not definitely on the outs, but still a question mark. Uh, But it's it's unclear for me as well because Tom Barlow gets a start in the biggest game ever uh, of the season, technically, um, and he gets picked up in his option later. So my ongoing pet theory or proxy theory that I've been trying to go for could it's not necessarily totally false yet, but it's not it's not totally true. Tom Barlow clearly isn't here just only because he's a clumsy approximation of someone else. They do see they do rate him more than that. It seems. Yeah. Totally. I, I, I think part of it, I mean, I mentioned this must have been a few months ago that he like reminds me of the dominant Calvert-Lewin type player where they like mm-hmm. have a 
some, you know, I think good, you know, potential uh, hasn't been utilized and they are, you know, they fall flat in front of goal a lot. Uh, and, but, you know, they finally maybe have a season or in Everton's case, a string of games uh, because I think this season they've, they've kind of collapsed. Uh, but, but uh, um, I think that that, that idea might still hold um, maybe mm-hmm. if Struber is able to put together uh, a supporting cast for him. I mean, honestly, I, and, and I, I'm curious to kind of hear what everybody else thinks, but I don't think he had a bad, like a terrible game up top. I kind of liked um, the, like the energy that he brought and he did do a pretty good job of like going to the right of the attacking third uh, and putting some dangerous balls. in. I, it, it looked kind of, I mean, he was, having fun with what he did. I, I, I had more of an issue with Royer's performance than I, I did with Barlow's. That's for sure. It's, it's interesting that you say, you mentioned that Sam, the, the peeling off to the right part, because that is sort of, and I mean, you know, this is going to be quite the uphill battle if it becomes a long-term thing with explaining Barlow or whoever to people, but you know, or whoever, whoever Struber's strikers are to people, but um, that, Struber's forwards are not necessarily meant to be in the middle trying to score all the time. Struber's strikers are meant to be more of an outlet and more to be kind of a guy to dump it to and move out and hold it for the rest of the team to move in, which that's a little bit of a, because, because, you know, it's, it's two strikers who kind of have their own halves of the field as opposed to the more four, two, three, one pressing format that we've had with Red Bulls for the last five years or so where where everybody is kind of spreading out and looking for second balls off of long balls down the field for Struber's system it's a lot more of kind of trying to build on the ground and in order to do that you need to have the strikers creating space up the field and then being an an outlet if you know space opens up out wide further up the field and that you, you know, each striker is kind of a Heskey who's moving around trying to carry the ball and carry defenders away from the middle so that, you know, the guys who are the midfield, you know, that's usually a diamond that's bunching up in there can kind of fill that space. So um, we're going to see, yeah, uh, strikers who maybe aren't as focused on, you know, scoring and, you know, maybe that means a Barlow is, you know, more of a fit for that going forward than, than we expect. I think it's also a factor, at least just with, you know, the, the fact that his option was picked up, that mm-hmm. he is a, you know, next, next to nothing, you know, salary cap hit. I, I, I would imagine yeah. he's, uh, you know, a supplemental contract, you know, whatever it is. I try not to get lost in that capology stuff, but, uh, you know, does, doesn't really, you know, you know, hurt us at all to keep him around. Yeah. So, so why not? I, I, you know, as before he was even a thing, I, you know, I, I guess I was a, a Tom Barlow booster and I, I'll, I'll continue that and continue to say, you know, he might be more valuable than, you know, people might, you know, initially realize there's some yeah. sort of support for him too. I mean, even across like, like this, I think that I don't know how far to look into it, but the fact that Carnell who's going to be staying on in, in an assistant coach capacity had rated him so highly. Um, yeah. you know, I think that like there has to be some kind of consistent agreement, um, that, that Barlow is somebody that the, like the, the club just feels like, uh, you know, they take it, tick, they, he ticks a box in some, in some way. Um, and, and I, and I hope that, you know, the results, whether it be goals or, or chances created, uh, you know, they, they, they uptick a little bit next year with a larger system in place. 
Yeah, it it seems like Barlow is, if nothing else, coachable, um, which yeah. they appreciate. I just wish we could go back in time and give him that like Leo Messi human growth hormone shot to make him like two steps faster <laughs> to make up for for some of the other things, you know. Um, send him, send him to some rural Austrian doctor who like <laughs> adds fast twitch muscles to your, yeah, like hamstrings horse or placenta, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a throwback. Uh, have have Tom Barlow and his frat brother get lost in the Austrian woods and meet some doctor who gets them in for the night. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll stop it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I don't like the direction I'm heading with that. Uh, the uh, before we maybe move on to roster stuff, uh, can someone refresh my memory on how Velo played? Um, was it was it more forward uh, or is it was it back back in the center again? Well, I don't remember. Cork, Cork or Peaches? It was it was wider. I mean, because because you had you know pretty full middle with with Davis and Yearwood and, and yeah. Clark, um, okay. uh, which you know I, I yeah I, I think I think it's definitely a factor for Velo being kept on and being you know valued by the system that he can play in central midfield, but. Um, and then that he did fill in there most of this year, but I think I think going forward he'll he'll be valued as more of a. I, I think I think going forward Struber is going to incorporate more central players in his formation than he was maybe able to with you know what was essentially a Bradley Carnell team against yeah. Columbus, but uh, you know, um, in, in in which case when he, when those more central players in a more central formation is installed that. Velo will be kind of more of a shuttler or maybe even a backup 10 in that kind of diamond formation. But yeah. if if we end up uh, having maybe like a 4-2-2-2 or like the 4-2-3-1 that's more traditional for the Red Bull setup, that he'll be more of a wide player. Yeah, I, I think I think looking back at this, the, the main thing that I whiffed on on anticipating lineups was being very confident that Jared Stroud would be inked in starter. Um which I mean, he does play eventually, and I do think he clearly seems to be in the plans for the team. But Glumbolt, uh not not in the starting lineup there as well. And I, um, <laughs> I do you know it's it's sort of a joke, but I, I do actually kind of forget about Clark here or there, um, <laughs> just partially. I, I don't think it's really about Clark so much as just you know the circumstances of the season. But I, I think when Clark kicks a ball in our kit. Uh, next year, it it'll click for me more. But yeah, I'm hoping for that. But I, I definitely feel what you're saying as far as just that. Even even if he ends up being being great, like that that he even if even if he ends up being great, and even if the team ends up winning, like the plan for him being signed is not to eventually be part of a big winning team. It's more as kind of a sidebar to that. If you catch my draft yes that's um, a good point because i do feel like even with with like it's it's not necessarily confirmed the smoke with leipzig or whatever mm-hmm. um it does it, it's not like you it, 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 it feels like a very successful flyer that we're taking as opposed to any sort of like you know piece that we're you know expecting to be part of success that the team has as opposed to the success that the team's you know sort of technical operation has Right. They seem to have set the expectations differently, even from Adams, where like Adams, they they kind of like 
communicated as he was rising up, like, oh, this, this kid's going somewhere soon. Um, but with, with Clark, it seems to even be, even be more aggressive where it's, it's kind of been leaked and, and, um, disseminated that, uh, you know, he might even get a big time transfer to Europe, maybe even before he's like had a Tyler Adams esque season. Like maybe he just has a couple flashes here and it's, it's still just sends him over there. So I think it, yeah, I've, I've maybe keeping been keeping that in the back of my mind that we're like Yearwood, I think we're expecting to show up every week for a while at least. And Kaku, I think as well, we were like expecting to be our main guy for a couple of years and then hopefully find like an Almiron esque transfer him for him or something. Even if we weren't expecting to keep him as a career guy. But but Clark, you know, he, he might he might get called up to the the bigs even before any of that stuff so there was this point like in 2018 i think when everyone was thinking like oh is tyler adams gonna go when jesse goes as well Mm -hmm. um and and i think that like to that point like yeah i think you're right brett that like in that hypothetical scenario like i could see clark going over the summer like it would be so soon that it wouldn't be uh a substantial piece uh of the team for like the whole season into the playoffs um uh in that way so yeah it's hard to kind of look at him as a permanent kind of fixture uh yeah like he's about him no go for it but, but I mean, he like, and he's young enough that he doesn't even. He's young enough, and you know, talented enough too. But it's like uh, young enough that he doesn't even need to be a centerpiece of the team and need to be super successful to get a transfer, especially essentially or eventually, like oh, yeah, he did, totally. like Tyler Adams did, or, or whoever. I mean, like, um, you know, it's it's kind of. I, I had a name in my head just a second ago, but I lost it. But. Um, but as you know, I mean, like not not the name that I had in my head, but like Freddie Adu, even like you know he he when he eventually went to Europe, and we all know that went you know haywire eventually. But when he had his big hyped move to Benfica when he first went over there was when he had just been kind of like dicking around with Salt Lake, right? Not really doing anything, but it was still you know he was still enough of a property that he you know, could get moved on and that that was kind of different from what we had with a guy who was coming straight out of the academy and needed to still build a name for himself. Right. There like, was right. or there was that one summer where Davies made the transfer to Bayern and I think you know Davies had like shown quality already in extremely yeah. young age, but I think that still kind of revved up a lot of people's evaluation of him of like, oh, he's like that good. And it was a hype thing. But then like a month later, Barcelona signed that Tabla guy. Uh-huh. Uh Tab blow i can't i can't Alu. i mean Alu, uh, yeah. yeah um and i feel like people were like oh like geez okay like canadian mls clubs youth like that's a that's crazy but then he was so young they put him on barca b for a year or two and then he got sent back to montreal and he might even not be playing anymore um or he might just be still with montreal and it didn't really come off so like yeah it, it that is like the with guys these young, they could be either of the Davies variety or the the Montreal variety guy. Um, but I think like maybe moving towards the the roster decision conversation as well. I mean, this is interesting because like Sam, when you mentioned the Adams Jesse timing thing, like going over, it also reminds me of how you know Amir has finally uh, like really settled in, just signed a contract extension over at um, Antwerp in Belgium, even though um, he. Uh, you know, is still kind of homesick and his family's like still in Panama and it's even further. Um, that reminds me of like just, you know, the bizarre situation that it was here that like uh, Amir was very clearly a 
Jesse guy, loved by Jesse. Jesse had very like specific plans and roles for him. Armis clearly did not drag their feet on it. It was unclear. And then like, I don't know if it was, and, and Amir has hinted that there were promises or in, moves made or, or communicated to him that maybe he would have a future at Salzburg or Leipzig or something if he did well, maybe conjoined with Jesse. And that just never came to fruition. We finally moved him on. He finally has really uh, consolidated his success. Um, meanwhile, still back in Red Bull world, it's we're still in an unfamiliar or, or unclear situation where our latest uh, RB Global guy, Samuel Tetze, turns out to basically be another Omer Damari. Um, you know, like he's been released, but didn't pick up his option. I don't know. I guess maybe he'll go back to Salzburg or something. But lo and behold, it turns out to be another one of those kind of low stakes loans that didn't end up being a permanent move. So we're kind of back to a situation, in my opinion, where we still don't really know much about like the the details of like p- player back and forth between Red Bull, New York and Red Bull Salzburg and or Leipzig. We have the standout case of Adams who kind of forced his way over. We have the standout case of Jesse, who seems to have uh, networked and handshaked his way over it and also did a great job here. Um, But in terms of just sort of like regular business of players going back and forth, it's still much more that like Samuel Tete, Mark Schakowsky, Omer Damari tier of thing where it's hard to actually figure out – you know, are we a farm club? Not really yet, actually, um, in either direction. And uh, Gerhard Struber, with his $2 million transfer fee, is is still the most significant, really, like, thing that we've received from uh, Red Bull Global, in a way. Um, so back back to square zero in that respect, I guess. And, and I think we're, in that way, still kind of in unfamiliar grounds with what could happen with Clark or even what could happen I, with Kaku. Yeah. I was going to mention too I, the, the names, the names that I was going to bring up too, that should be especially familiar for, for this club is um, both Josie Altidore and Juan Agadello, where they both, you know, had their, their little flashes. I mean, Josie was almost like identical when he became on the scene with Clark, but then they just kind of plateaued and weren't really, didn't really become, you know, successes per se with the Red Bulls, but still enough to be, you know, moved on and, you know, have, have their value and everything. And I think that's what we'll be, you know, I think that should be people's baseline for what we see with Clark, not, not anything higher than that. It's a nice, um, I think feather in the cap. Uh, but at the same time, I think the worst possible thing about the, the Columbus game was not that we both lost and as well as got, uh, you know, like us men's national team stalkers excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's kind of my thing about Clark too, is that he's, it, it doesn't feel like he belongs to us as much as, uh, other players because of sort of the context where he, he came onto the scene, I guess. That is true. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Both from the national team respect of, of the rubberneckers or, or whatever you want to call yeah. them, and also I think like the the you know RB Global super diehard RB Global people being like, oh, he's going to Leipzig for sure. He's going to you know play on this date and for leafering and then do all this stuff. It's like, okay, I don't, is this, this kid from Minnesota like I, that I heard of in June this year? I don't know if he's going to be gone by next June. You know what? Fine. Yeah. Okay, fine. You know, Let, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I love the goals he scores for us, but I, I kind of said that like Struber goals he scores for us. 
Um, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, should we should we look at the other uh, the other moves on the roster decisions? We we held off on recording this episode until these are made. Um, my my takeaway, my top line takeaway from this is it it signals more continuity than less. I mean, we could still make future moves after these, but really the only the only declined options that we had were on Seagrist. Um, I guess it was only on a one-year contract. I don't, is that normal for draft picks? Well, I mean, the option would – I mean, I guess it's essentially a two-year contract if you're good. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris Lima, who's kind of like, I guess, the the Kevin Pollitt's Dan Metzger of this year. Um, and Ben Mines and Mark Schakowsky. Um So Riza, um, I think, was expected because it's kind of aging out, um, you know, kind of returned more to his depth – uh, role um, yeah, after after his prominence under Armis ended. Um, so Seagrist, I think, his writing has been on the wall as well. I mean, it is it is it is actually very strange. I think the the once a metro recap of this actually phrased it in a very pithy way that did make me appreciate again that you know we did trade up for this guy and start him for two games to start the season before the season was suspended. And yet it also still feels obvious that he was declined. Uh, so there's, there's probably a deeper story there that I don't know if we'll ever hear. Uh, um, second, second year in a row that we've had a fullback with that story arc. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also just like, you know, is, is it's tempting to say that is, you know, secrets is the last Hamlet decision or whatever, the last Armist decision, but I don't know, you know, it's like the, the, a lot of things that I would have assumed as well, like Hamlet being conjoined to Armis, what didn't end up being true. Um, Nihilus so like being made, kept on. Yeah, Nihilus kept on. Um, Duncan's uh, continuity in the mm-hmm. lineup, despite kind of similar chaotic performances. It, you know, who knows? I'm like, I can't be as confident. Um, so I think Ben Mines, in a way, is, while not like shocking, I think the most. Um, I don't know, uh, arbitrary of these decisions. I think it's easy. Well, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, Britt, I mean, it puts it in starker relief that we release a guy like Bynes if we're doing some of the more like surprisingly conventional MLS moves that you were just saying. That, yeah. Uh, I, I, I personally um, cannot find words to describe my confusion and my sense of betrayal. <laughs> we were asked to do a tribute, I think, but to me... I mean, bed mines can never really die, right? Like he, he has, has been established. It's just the two, first two thirds of the name bed mine stands. So <laughs> that lives on forever. I, when I, I was going to pull up his stats before this on foot mob. And at first I thought he had, his whole profile had been erased from foot mob already um, <laughs> since he got released. But it turns out that he's entered as Benjamin. Mines. Oh. So I had to search that, but I was a little spooked for a second. I thought he had, he had, been canceled for a second damn who do we stand now no more alex will no more ben mines it's it's a bit i'm 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 having a bit of a crisis i don't i don't really know what to do that's a good point maybe it's a cautionary tale about stan culture mm. <clears throat> i don't know because there's certainly good there's good players left on the team but is anyone as uh well ben mines isn't even that weird is he we just 
I mean, yeah, like we're kidding, but we're not when we say that Ben Meinstein is like taking on greater legends, greater, <laughs> greater separate legend, right? Like Ben Meinstein, at the end of the day, seems to be a fairly normal kid from Connecticut, as far as anyone from Connecticut can be normal, you know. But it was kind of funny how it seemed like the <laughs> the accounts were bullying him in a way. Which accounts? I don't know. He, there, like, there are times. I, I feel like there were like moments for Ben Minds uh, online where he was just like either left out of something or they didn't talk about him. Um, oh, like team then, things, yeah, 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 yeah. Like they did have, um, they had the Zoom calls at like halftime on MSG or something once that they recapped that were like regional themed questions and marrow did crack wise it like isn't ben mines from like vermont or something like why is he here and everyone kind of laughed and i met mines kind of just laughed uncomfortably but i mean look he's a patriots fan so are they wrong a patriots and a chelsea fan wow Ugh. um oh and then kendall mcintosh also is out of contract i guess which that mm. one i mean this like this really doesn't matter at all i guess but like i for me, a third keeper is is sort of just like you need a guy, and like why why give yourself another task to go find a new third guy? I don't know, so, but I guess we're gonna go get one somewhere. I don't think, Maybe I don't think there's even like uh, social media footage of him like drinking coffee or something to put to make like an ironic highlight reel out of. Yeah, <laughs> no, he was he was on that. Um, even that. He was only on those. I was. He was always on those like question things on Twitter, and that was the videos. And I was just like, "Who is that guy?" Oh, it's Kendall McIntosh. Yeah, actually, no, I, I did. I did. I had to go uh, looking for some images of different Red Bulls people, and I going through some videos. And um, Kendall McIntosh actually did feature more heavily in the video they put together for that um, uh, like new pitch that they opened up in West New York. Um, it was like the, the, um, I forget the exact name, but like the black MLS players, like association partnership thing that mm-hmm. Red Bulls did. And he, he was kind of like more prominent in that video, um, which is like the most I'd seen from him actually. Um, but you know, cause third keeper, third keepers in tough position, you know, it's like kind of inherently just, just like, just also like Kyle Rainish. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if we needed, um, a third keeper too, we could just use, I guess like Luca Lewis or whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they seem to have plans for him. Um, and, uh, you know, just, yeah, like third third keeper. I mean, in, you know, 10 years ago, he would have been the whatever, like Tim Melia, like floating pool keeper or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like it's become a luxury that, you know, MLS teams even have space on the roster to carry, you know, extra keepers. And, right. yeah, they're always going to get moved on. That's, yeah, especially this, like, salary cap league. I guess that's that's always going to be a thing. Yeah. Speaking of keepers, Preston Burpo, goalkeeper coach, has been let go, as well as the RB2 goalkeeper coach. Looks like we're getting some fresh blood here. But as said earlier, Bradley Carnell is staying on as an assistant coach and a signal towards stability. So it looks like this is the uh, this is the, the core group, right? I mean, this was what the press conference about was recently. Was there anything from the press, press conference that was that stood out? Uh, pretty, pretty much. Uh, I mean, not, not too much that, that I guess isn't, it's kind of public knowledge by now, but, but just that, um, you know, that Struber had kind of been, that there was an acknowledgement that Struber had been kind of watching the team, uh, before having his full hands on, 
um, and, you know, kind of evaluating players and that the short time that he did spend training the team before they dispersed this month was sort of spent, you know, checking, you know, Thelwell used the word checking kind of on the things that he had, you know, thought he observed at least in video. So, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, that, that was sort of a thing in the press conference and, and just, uh, generally saying, you know, uh, you know, the, they, they feel I, I, I've sensed, you know, a little bit that, you know, Thelwell was sort of bigging up the squad and that the squad, you know, that exists as it is, is, you know, good enough to win, but also that they, you know, there, there, there's always reasons. There's always places to improve the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be opportunities that come up here or there players who become available and stuff like that. And that it's not a, a, you know, kind of game plan per se, as much as just, you know, having, you know, proper practices in place for, for reacting to situations as they come about, you know? Um, and that's, that's what you do with rosters, especially in a league like this where the contracts are you're more regimented. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't find too much to quibble with yet, at least in, in, in what these decisions are. I don't think they had a whole lot of space to make, a lot of con- consequential decisions uh, with with this roster, and I think that speaks to you know the zone, I guess, and some of you know what the malaise of the club was for the last two years. Yeah, that that we that we had, you know, the contract situation so kind of clogged as it is right now. You know, even even with the guys who were kept on, there wasn't there weren't that many you know options to make decisions on, and you know there weren't that you know many guys who were you know intuitive cuts to make. So, right, yeah, I I, I think I agree with that, and I think I think um, it goes to show. Well, yeah. Okay. So there, there are some guys that could st- just because options are picked up on some guys or some guys are still on contract does you know doesn't mean that they couldn't also go. Like if, for instance, I think if like Club America offered us ten million dollars again for Kaku or something like that, decent chance I think that maybe we take that or something right now at his age and and just like the delay in the project or whatever. Um, or uh, let's say like Royer or something. Maybe we find a trade deal for Royer. That could still happen. But I think the broad strokes of what you're saying is right. I think that you know even among some of our friends, I think we're uh, generally more like-minded uh, with us about the team. I think um, it became easy to start thinking like, oh, we need to sign a bunch of players. We need to sign five or six players. We need to get a new like we need to completely you know get rid of Pendant who we just got this year. You know maybe we do. I don't know. Uh, we need to get like this whole new re. re- overhaul for how Struber wants to play um that might be anything was a little a little too much right like it didn't really map on to like the the chronology of some of this stuff um because Thelwell has been here all year and has made like five or six um moves already uh right and, and um been bringing guys in and I think the fact that we only released a couple guys um suggests that yeah, we, we have a team that's been being built that had core talent on it already. Um, and we're just looking to finish it maybe with a striker, a midfielder, figure out the midfield situation and maybe a fullback or something like that. Not that we need to make a ton of overhaul. And that I think it's possible that just having a full preseason with Struber in charge and actually going over like a team defensive scheme and a team shape and all of that could just that alone improve the guys we have here already, even without a new 
player here or there, you know. So, so you know, maybe we still see another big departure, but so far the signals point that way to me that, that we're, we're already in, underway with our, our transition to this kind of new scheme of Red Bull under Thelwell and Struber. Yeah, I think there's an expectation too that that you know, not not to bring back the system as the star cliche, but that yeah, that uh, Struber's Struber's Austrian pixie dust will you know, kind of lift whatever you know lift lift the form of all players in the team. Um, that you know, and maybe maybe some of the newer guys aren't this case, but we know a lot of the guys in the team you know can perform on a much higher level than they have the last year or the last two years. Yeah. So we've um, seen some proof of concept of that too already. You know, with like Parker yeah. getting better by by absolutely yeah, addition, yeah. by subtraction. So I think it's possible. And and um, oh shit, what was I going to say? Totally blanked. But um, I was just going to say that I think it'd be really really funny and good if we just left Royer unprotected in the expansion draft and he got selected for some reason I think that'd be really funny that could be fun. I mean that could be um well I guess maybe that, that reminds me of what I wanted to say as well because that, that's kind of like uh when Chris Duvall got picked in the expansion draft it felt like weirdly written on the wall right um like we left him unprotected and, and when he got picked it was like okay yeah, it makes sense for who even Picked, who even came in that year? I guess I don't know. Whoever who picked him, it, it felt felt intuitive. Um, but I guess I'm viewing maybe this next coming season, maybe like almost like the 14 to 15 shift, maybe in a way. But like viewing it as though we've signed our version of Sasha and Felipe a little bit earlier in the se- like previous season, and we've seen them play some weird games. Because like I think with this new uh, system we're going to be playing um, under Struber that like we're going to see this four two 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 midfield a little bit differently and it'll be kind of similar to how we kind of overhauled that in fifteen and it's hard to see how it looks and you you wouldn't have been able to tell that I think in twenty fourteen if we had gotten Felipe a little bit in advance um, I think this aligns with this vision of the the roster construction is basically already underway right like it, it's I think it became easy to start thinking maybe that, oh, we need maybe five or six players. Um, but this these moves so far, even though it's possible we still deal a couple other guys through different ways or maybe just release someone, I think does suggest that uh, Thelwell has been making moves already with Struber in mind and feels that we need maybe two or three players, not five or six, or totally re-overhauling. Because I don't think – we still haven't seen Drew Yearwood play – under like a lot of coaching of Struber, we still haven't seen Kaku and Kasaris and Drew and uh, Stroud and all these guys that are now been in the midfield a lot this, together. We haven't seen them train under our first co- team manager under that kind of scheme at all. So um, I, I think it this this does point more to the direction of the roster build being continually underway, and I, I wouldn't expect like huge overhauls this off season. I do still want a striker. I mean, I think Cork's what Cork said earlier about Barlow and, and Struber strikers, I think is interesting. And like, you know, more, more of Heskies is interesting. Um, and I like the sound of that in a vacuum, but part of me does, does still kind of want a, uh, a striker to come in and kind of reassure me on that front, even if it's not going to be 
someone banging in 30 goals a year per se. You know, I, I think we still need an addition there. Um, and I, I would expect one still, actually. Is that naive to expect a striker signing still? Um, I don't know. I think if we see maybe a year alone for Maddie, um, we we might see something. But uh, like, it depends. Like who 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 are we looking at? Yeah, like, I mean, well, it's 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 a kind of a fact of nature with this club that that in recent times, especially that that we never really know who anybody we sign is until he happens where we're not, we're not a club that makes like super intuitive signings where even you know, Kaku, like even Kaku yeah. is someone that no one knew about. Right. Right. And if you I approach mean, that a certain way, it's, it's almost liberating, right? Like just, you know, don't really worry about it. It's impossible for you to predict it. Just analyze it as it comes in. And it becomes like a little like, you know, Christmas present one morning, you know, um, yeah. but like, and it's just like, there's, there's that factor where we just don't even know, we never know, you know, where where the team's looking or which guy might come up. I mean, you know, the line on Red Bull is often that you know their 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 whole goal is to scout the entire world and have a have a you know the entire you know football manager day database like IRL. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know the they I don't think they even know what what direction they're going to go in for a striker because I think even because we saw Ivan Tony over the summer. Where that that one was a little bit more of like you know Fellwell has only been in the job for a few months and he's still kind of going through his files from England and you know going after some guys who he thought might you know he might be able to knock out of the tree from there while he was still kind of familiar with the scene there but I think increasingly as as time goes on and he becomes more detached from that scene that he had been a part of for a long time I think it's gonna yeah take over more of the Red Bull factor of that he, you know he. He he has a you know pretty wide open you know plan or, or not plan but 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 birth of 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 possibilities for for where his transfer targets could come from and I think he basically said this in the press conference earlier this week that that it's a matter of you know opportunities presenting themselves rather than going out and you know seeking a guy just for the sake of it and um, yeah. You know, um, maybe those guys will pop up this winter and we'll, we'll, we'll make a signing. Um, and you'd think striker would have a lower threshold than other positions for having that sort of guy being worthy of a signing. But, um, you know, it could be very well that even though we have a you know pretty glaring hole at striker or not necessarily hole, but just, you know, that's, that's a big area where we could improve. Um, yeah, we could we could just go without making a move for another you know window or so. You know, um, it's it would be fitting with with Red Bull's mantra and a little bit of what we know about the temperament of Thelwell that you know we would not just make a move for making a move's sake. So yeah, you know, that well, that factor should be kept in mind. If we do do that, we better we better win though. Because I guess maybe to pick up on a, a thread yeah. that I left dangling earlier, I, I, I'm I'm trying to be sensitive maybe to like to the fact that it hearing like fake season over and over again, even though we genuinely believe it might get old. Um, and I, I think it's, as we've said in previous episodes, and it's not just something we're saying to like be contrarian online. I think it is generally how we all feel. The converse of this is that next March, it's like, it's going to be less fake. If nothing else, everyone else is going to be, even if we're still bubbled up, even if there's no fans in the arena and stuff, like the teams are going to be more on an equal footing with preparing for that reality and Stuber will be here for longer. And um, 
all of all of the, a lot of those qualifications that I've been saying this year, I think are not going to apply. And I think uh, I will be expecting kind of to start seeing like the product of what's going on. So if we don't mm-hmm. buy a striker, it, it is going to be incumbent on them to start delivering on results. I, I don't anticipate in March or April, I don't want to be sitting here defending Fellwell or Struber if if we're not doing great and we didn't buy a striker or the midfield hierarchy and situation is still unclear. Um, the the leash is going to be shorter for that. I think if it's if there if it's not showing a, a direction or thought, then it, it needs to start show that showing that next year already. Because kind of what we were saying last episode too about um, some silver linings, at least you know with Drew and stuff. Like it's like at the very least we can we can feel it telegraphed that they are intending on Drew being a guy for us as his role in the midfield and their shape been ironed out. Have we seen that yet? Probably not, but we can feel from them from how they signed him and how they're playing him, that he's going to be a fixture of the team going forward. We need to see more of that. I think more development of that kind of thing in the midfield and up top um, with, with some results. Cause I think my nightmare scenario, well, <laughs> it's not really a nightmare scenario, but like a, a, a very annoying round of discourse will be if, DC United completes this hiring of Chris Armas. They vibe more naturally than they do here. Cause like we're, we've been joking all the last two years. I mean, it's a very sad joke that like, you know, he's just very Ben Olsen energy. He's like the Metro Ben Olsen. Lo and behold, he just becomes the new Ben Olsen. So I think it's possible that Chris Armas just fits in DC more naturally. And if Chris Armas came up here and beats a still uneven, Gerhard Struber Red Bulls team and is above them in the table for a week in April. Like that, I, I just don't want to like, that'd just be very annoying. Dumbest week of discourse ever. <laughs> just like Struber and Thelwell to start winning immediately and save us from that. Cause that will be the, that will be extremely grating. Um, and I would like it to not happen, but. It would be very cursed energy if that happened. Yeah. As much as I hate to say it. Because I do think that maybe that's also a coda on Armis as well. Is that like I, I don't begrudge him getting another job by far, and I'm glad we didn't lead the episode with it or anything. But I th- like that that kind of cut, cuts to the the core of like one of the issues with Armis, right? Was that like we felt his his vision and his style and his literal tactical management plans were just not up to snuff for our standard. And I do, I do think they fit the standard of GCU right now much better. And DC is a worse club than we are. Um, and sometimes bad clubs beat good clubs. Um, so I don't, I, and it's not unlikely that happens eventually. Um, but, and you can finally sign Juan Agadello. Yeah. But it's, it's incumbent that, uh, Struber and Thelwell keep substantiate this talk that they're having about, you know, living up to the Red Bull standard that we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, which I do, I think now would be also a good time to, to reiterate. I mean, we hit this note a couple times, as we record the podcast throughout the year, but I think it's always helpful to like recap um, what, what like the theory or like what the, the recent history of the club is in recent years and like what, what we think actually has happened recently. Cause I think one of the most grating things in Red Bulls discourse or news that pops up is when people are just not tracking the, the perceptions and thing. it becomes very easy to to pass off some received wisdom as though that's always been the theory and what's going on when it wasn't. Um, so specifically for this year, I'm thinking that like uh, of the notion that uh, Chris Armis was doing 
the best he could with a limited squad. Um, and that, um, that, you know, the beginning of 2019 was not the continuation of a 2018 squad, but that Armist deserved more time, more or less, which I think as it was happening, we all disagreed with. So the way that I'm viewing 2019 or 20 going into 2021 is that basically 2018 was the height of the Jesse March Red Bulls project. Chris Armis took over halfway through and kept the momentum of that project and was able to replicate Jesse's methods and styles, also with the help of an extremely dynamic presence in the locker room in Tyler Adams and on the field. Um, and again, I think also looking back at the videos, the match day videos from 2018, you just see literally Chris Armis is just replicating like Jesse's style interpersonally with people. I think it's palpable when you notice it. Like, uh, None of that happens in 2019. 2019 is uh, a slow-moving disaster of Chris Armas never really introducing a coherent tactical plan, week-to-week plans for who's starting where or mess. Uh, players are on the field sitting around not knowing where everyone is being, just dwelling on the ball. This happens for all of 2019. Going into 2020, we've now bled a couple players off the roster. BWP has left. Uh, and has had a kind of ugly departure from the squad or stilted departure maybe from the team despite having his number uh, retired. We've had uh, Amir Murillo leave after being seemingly frozen out in uneven form. Kamar Lawrence has left. The 2018 squad, in effect, no longer really exists, whereas at the beginning of 2019, 10 out of 11 of those guys were there in March. Um, 2020... We gave everyone a little bit of a longer leash with COVID. Earlier this year, I was on this podcast saying, don't fire anyone. It's all whatever. Just get home. Then Chris Armis all of a sudden looks shockingly like he did in 2019 in a way that I did not expect. And then the real uh, escalating factor to me seemed to be that Chris Armis started getting really mouthy and uh, having an attitude about it towards uh, um, the doubters and like, you know, it gets quiet when I make decisions that work, which seems to not be appreciated by Kevin Thelwell um, when he fires him. And now looking towards 2020, 21, sorry, and Gerhard Struber, I think the appropriate way to frame Struber's entrance into the club is looking at Thelwell's comments about retaining our high standards as a club and how things are run professionally, building out the backroom staff after kind of atrophied over a couple of years at developing players and kind of just restoring Red Bull into being a solidly well-run club that's always at the top of the table in um, MLS. So that's kind of what I'm ex- expecting at the beginning of next year. But the through line to this is kind of what we were saying earlier about the roster news for me. That like there is, there is a solid core of talent there, raw talent between Kaku um, and long and Parker, who I think it has recovered some form um, and guys like Fallot and even some young guys like Omir Fernandez, who's, who's uh, stalled a little bit, but I think still has plenty to add. Um, and I think the project should be looked at, looked upon as building upon that. Um, and that Schuber and Thelwell um, have signaled that they're going to try to do that now. And, and now's the time. Now there's time really next season to start, to start turning it in. So I'm looking forward to it. I think I think it should be exciting, um, but I'm going to try to not just unquestionably cape for for Thelwell and Struber next year. Um, I think I think now's the time. 
that is my recap of recent Red Bulls history, though. Yeah, uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, um, there's there's no reason. I mean, I, I think, and, you know, this is something that I, you know, that I should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about the risks of having him take over that single playoff game, but that, you know, uh, you know, there was, there was a little bit of a, you know, a silly kind of uproar of like, oh, like, you know, he – you know, so much, so much for the big, you know, guy, the big price tag, $2 million manager or whatever. Like he, he can't figure out, you know, how to, you know, start Kaku or whatever, where it's just like, okay, let's calm down on that. But I do agree that, you know, there's, wait, wait, there's, wait, 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 wait. what are you talking about? Cause I am vehemently true brown already. Uh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, right. You know, 0% since, win rate, a hundred percent lose rate. Oh, exactly. Numbers I mean, don't lie. He's already, he's already, you know, done the TS, gone through a TSM cycle. He's Didn't already, even start Kaku. He's, what he's, a, ruined, oh my God. he's ruined the dream 2020 season, but you Such know, a failure. Despite all that, I think it's kind of silly to, you know, have a big uproar already, but, um, you know, uh, to, you know, um, uh, lost my train of thought but that 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 yeah there's there's no reason to be caving for him like you said Brett and and yeah 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 I think the big thing the big thing that we wanted the big thing from 2020 is when the decision to move on from Chris Armis happened Kevin Thelwell reified a couple really important things to us which is that the club can be doing better than this and the players after Armis departed showed that their ceiling was higher than what was being shown. That, like, we didn't have to be playing this really mediocre, dreadful-to-watch static soccer. That wasn't just the inherent nature of the talent on the team. And then Thawa went a step further to say that, like, this is not the height of our ambition that it should be. Like, like beating NYCFC on that uh, Sean Johnson error is not something that we should be pumping our chests about, That like Armis was. Um, now the question of like, is Thelwa going to successfully restore that is, is contingent. It's, it's to remaining to be seen, but in 2020, it was felt like a great sanity check and leap forward that, that somebody at least was acknowledging that, that like the state of the club in 2019 and early 2020 did not to be, need to be accepted. It's not just the way it is. We should try to move forward Maybe we won't successfully move forward, but we should certainly be trying and not accepting the idea that, that Red Bull New York is, is just some small two-bit club that shouldn't expect to do well in the, the regular season and should just have a, a, you know, a lottery chance every offseason um, at MLS Cup. So here's hoping, but that statement, I think, is, is the biggest thing in, in 2020. Um, we have a we have, we got an email question along this this line, so maybe we should move to emails now before we round out with uh, the latest uh, Pat Benjamin scoop. Let's come in to tease a little bit, but we have to take us back to the old days. We have a Benny question again. We've got a couple of Benny questions this year. Feels good. Feels good to be back in a Benny world, but not Ben Olson world. Um, so Benny wrote us this week to say. As we've been saying, we all know that this season doesn't count. We all know that the age of that so Metro is as over as the age of calling your new album, your new CD that's about to drop. My question is, 
Can you imagine an alternate outcome in the 2020 season that would have been able to inspire the thought, that's so Metro, as opposed to the thought, that's the zone? I, I mean, I'm going to be an asshole and say, you know, that my, you know, my, my trophy for last year was, you know, having, you know, new, new management regime come in and just have, you know, everything sort of like you were just saying, Brett, just have that sort of symbolic reset of everything happen. So I guess my, my TSM would have been, you know, uh, it well be getting a little bit gun shy and then maybe not you know, uh, deciding to, to hit the button after DC and Armas just continuing to let things fester and then decline, but then, you know, enter into this fake, you know, everybody except three teams playoffs and do his run to the cup and, and, you know, have that whole, you know, song and dance play out and have, you know, it would have been a purgatory for Thelwell as, you know, also as well as all of us, um, you know, to just have, you know, Armas be, be in the zone, be become Olsen even further. So um, I guess that that would be that would have been my my that's that's so metro to again be a, mm-hmm. be an asshole. I think um, the the distinction between that's so metro and zone is about expectations, right? Um, in, in that, like something that would be considered uh, TSM would be something that's really tragic and like hilariously um just like improbable to happen um whereas like the losses in the zone are just kind of a a a deep-seated dread that came from uh the output of the team being exactly what the or the result being exactly what's expected from the output of the team yeah that's a good point i think that the one thing that screams that so much to me uh, when anything else is if we were in NYCFC's shoes yeah. in the playoffs, that that is like the one thing that over like that just clusterfuck of a situation. Like if we were NYCFC there, that'd be the most that's so fucking metro moment. Like you would just hear people screaming it from the rooftops. Um, like if that were the case. Um, but I think even to add to not only that game itself, but if Thelwell were to have gotten here, I think to Peach is your point of like the expectations being higher. Like if Thelwell got here or not Thelwell, if Thelwell and stuff, I guess I meant to say Struber, if Struber had gotten here earlier, had been coaching sooner, had been able to implement some sort of, I think, uh, style that he wanted into the team. Uh, and then we went into the playoffs in NYCFC's kind of shoes where I was like, oh, pretty good. Like, actually, like, something could happen here. We'd have some momentum. And then to lose like they did, I think that would yeah. be that so metro right there. I totally agree. And I, I think I think it's a tough question because, like, it is hard to imagine that so metro under while in the zone because I think, like, part of, like, a lot of the agita and frustration of the recent years is a feeling that there was like a that's so metro creep into things that didn't really fit and that like people were saying about things that they they really shouldn't and they're kind of looking for it and there's like a powerful inertia to bring the club back to like a tragic state and i think like 2012 and the the encroachment on the penalty and then like 
uh, not take Nick Terry Henry, not taking the free kick, even though who knows if he even makes it. And then Nick DeLeon, like scoring that goal. To me, that is like peak recent. That's so Metro, like in like terms of the tragedy and frustrating uh, refereeing decisions. So like totally agreed, Sam, that, that the NYCFC debacle <laughs> would have fit that. Um, but like that's Metro feels that inertia where it was like in the same way that like it felt that, those like genuinely tragic bad luck moments or bad refereeing moments were dragging us back down to the middle. It also felt that like when we were bad as we were under the zone, people were dragging criticism back being like, what are you talking about? This is just how it is. This is just, this is just how rebel New York is. Like what do you like, you know, it's really just like ownership's fault that like we're not signing players. And like, you know, you, you know, I was around for 2009 like, you don't know what bad is. And it was just like insisting on that constant like middle mediocrity that I think was was what made the zone feel like everything was so meaningless and hard to get out of so it's it's hard to think about it but I I think that like a a, um maybe like that's so metro like like if Struber had arrived earlier and then like maybe something then happens to us similar to what happens to Barnsley and somebody like pays $4 million for Stuber to be a coach or something going, maybe that would be that. So Metro, I was so Red Bull rather than so Metro. Cause I mean, like I remember when we started this podcast, I started like toying with the idea that there could be a, that's so Red Bull versus a, that's so Metro that would be like a slightly different context. That's the closest I can get though. But the, it, it feels very funny and <laughs> comforting in a weird way that city uh, had such a calamitous, ridiculous results happen to them especially especially given that they're supposed to be winning right now like this is supposed to be their winning form as you said sam it's so yeah. funny yeah I, we were talking about the need for maybe a third keeper i mean it would be very funny if we just uh brought on whoever whoever played keeper for orlando in that, that <laughs> goal and, and we just threw them on in our depth chart as our third keeper yeah oh is he their starting center back i don't know i don't know who it was i have no idea uh, provocative question though um we got another question that i think maybe which can tie the bow up on the armist thing with dc united um because um it is it is a weird situation right where where the question comes from ed ritter um on twitter who writes what is the appropriate rbny supporter reaction if armist is actually hired at dc hate the team not the gaffer uproarious laughter severe loathing you know it's um and it's an opportunity to maybe repeat that like you know he he seems a nice he seems like a nice enough man right personally interpersonally he did get a little mouthy towards the end which seemed to maybe uh and speed up his departure maybe but yeah, I mean, like I think especially if you're an, if you're an older BNY fan who has a little bit more hatred for DC than NYCFC, there's certainly no reason not to hate the team more than the guy. Um, I, I, I think my my prescription, what I think people should think is is that this this is a good metaphor or a good illustration. It's not even a metaphor. Fuck subtext. Subtext is for cowards. This is a perfect illustration of how dc is just a tier beneath us they're literally hiring a guy that wasn't good enough for us our sporting director says explicitly this was not making the cut and dc after 10 years or whatever of olsen is like you know what we could really go for the long island version of ben olsen so 
not I, only not only not good enough for us, but um, the guy, the guy that they got kicked out for us. What do you mean? Like DC was well, I mean, like it, oh, not, how could I forget Eric Sorga? Yeah. Oh my god. Him. Good point. Good point. Yeah, you know, uh, I guess of the options Ed has presented, it's uh, uproarious laughter. I guess. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just a very funny situation in general. I think DC at this point is just a very funny club. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's like a, it's a different situation uh, because like in in New York and here, I mean, you know, we've been over his whole backstory and then the, the easy pass and all that kind of stuff um, and how, you know, that impacted the sense of why he was in the manager's role here and how it wasn't necessarily something he had clawed his way to, so to speak. But this, this feels different to where he is definitely like putting himself out there, trying to prove something, trying to, you know, uh, you know, kind of, kind of put his, put his money where his mouth is, whatever, whatever cliche you want to use. And so it'll be a lot easier to sort of, you know, judge him as he is. Whereas when he was here, it was, it sort of felt like he was a victim of circumstance and it felt, it felt a little bit um, harsh to, to give him the standard kind of, you'll be sacked in the morning treatment. So, um, you know, this, this will be a little different and I think it's a, there's a little bit more space to go for, you know, yes, uproarious laughter, you know, maybe, maybe not uproarious laughter, you know, but, um, you know, just being like, yeah, he's he's on our rivals. He's he's you know trying trying to you know beat us. So so yeah, that is a good angle, actually. That's a productive angle. Think about it because it's showing shining a light, a better light on the like weird false memory that everyone had that he was like some sort of legacy Metro or Red Bulls player when he just wasn't because. Um, when when he's been hired, I think like some of the DC fan reaction has been like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like, I think one because he just didn't do that well here, and I think some of them are clear eyed about that. And two, I think someone like you're hiring the Red Bulls manager. Like, we we don't like the Red Bulls. Like, fuck the Red Bulls. So to them, he is he is like a Red Bulls guy more than I think he is to us, to be honest. Like, like they have a more justified <laughs> reason for viewing him as a Red Bulls guy, really, as, as we do. And then from Armis's perspective himself, Arm, Armis is, is a Chicago Fire guy, mostly. I mean, he's like a, he's a local New York, Long Island guy, too. But like in terms of professional affiliation, he's a Fire guy. So he does not also have as much institutional rivalry with DC, you know, DC was just one of the 10 clubs that was around when he was playing, you know, like even wait, hold on, hold on. I have you just gave me a great idea, a fire guy, but even an LA galaxy guy. What if, what if Chris Armis is taking over at LA galaxy and uh, Greg Vanny is taking DC? Yeah. Uh, Everybody's been thrown off. If, if only we had Pat to straight on what's actually going to happen. Pat's time. Pat did drop us a line. I will say, final note on Armis before we get to Pat is that I, I actually I actually don't expect them to finish last. I fully, like, as much as we are critical of Armis and don't think he was right here, I fully anticipate them to do like sixth to eighth place or whatever and make the playoffs half the time, which is exactly what he was on track for doing here. 
which yeah. I was not good enough for me, you know? So like, if he doesn't I mean, finish last next season, I'm not owned is the most important thing. <laughs> I think there's going to be uh, Carl Robinson vibes. Yeah. To, to how oh. they qualify for the playoffs. Oh. Are there going to be, um, are, are there going to be, fuck, I, I lost my train of thought. Let's just move on. I was going to say, wait, wait, one, one thing I had thought of when we were talking about all this, especially as we talk about how funny it is for, as we laugh at the Chris Armas situation, what would be the worst of the two scenarios uh, next year? Chris Armas taking DC to win a cup uh, or uh, city winning their first cup. I think city winning their first cup. I don't really care about DC winning a like MLS cup. If they won the shield, that'd be fucking hilarious. But that's a yeah. good question, Sam. But that is a good question because nor in normal circumstances, I I would I would say what Pete just said. But yeah. I, I think the annoying, like if if Armis <laughs> shit clubbed his way to one next year, probably while finishing beneath us under the table, I would I would be actually much more annoyed than any than generic DC team. I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. Should we move on to our finale, which is the latest from Pat Benjamin? I don't know if you guys heard the latest on um, on the didn't, Energy Drink Soccer Show, but didn't uh, um, the the Adult Swim character guy tweet something about Pat Benjamin? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, the the milkshake guy, you mean? Yeah, Milk, exactly. Milkshake, milkshake, who's revealed to be racist obviously because he's a milkshake that's what that means um obviously um yeah so pat benjamin has taken has has taken the habit of uh embodying different american journal soccer journalists through a mysterious portal on the 77th and a half floor on the the trump tower so i think i think this is how i received this this transcript and this story from him because i received it in the dream just seamlessly into my brain. Um, so I think that Pat's been using this portal and has gotten so good at it that he just enters and sort of incepts these stories in fully delivered form. Um, and it's a privilege, Mr. Benjamin. I, I'm enjoying your brain being in mine. I welcome it. Please bring me your wisdom and all of these scoops because you guys, as much as we've been talking about Gerhard Struber and managerial decisions, you know, like it didn't have to be this way. We almost almost hired none other than Dome Tehran. Can you believe it? Thankfully, or like we were already deeply into the process of um, of contacting Struber, so it didn't come to be, but I have it on good authority that there was actually a meeting between Lord Kevin Thelwell, Dennis Hamlet, and none other than former NYFCFC manager and then Flamengo manager, Dome Tehran. What would that have been like? I think it would have been kind of something like this. I think it would have been, at, it was at the Batanzos restaurant in Newark, New Jersey, of course, the, uh, the, in the Ironbound district. Many uh, Red Bulls fans may know similar restaurants in the area from uh, going and getting some Rodizio um, before the game and all you can eat. So this is, of course, in late summer 2020. And uh, Thelwell and Hamlet are walking into the restaurant as, as they're walking in. Um, Thelwell turns to Dennis and just says, "Listen, Dennis, I, I do I do appreciate you uh, setting up this up, even though it's, it's 
likely already, uh, quite quite likely already that we made our managerial decision. You know, I, I think it, at the very least it should be edifying. Start with a former colleague of Pep Guardiola, and I'm flattered that uh, he was able to reserve the entire restaurant so we can have a socially distanced in-person meeting. Just keep in mind, this is this is during COVID, right? Very important. Got to be masked up. Hamlet, though, uh, turned to Thel and says, uh, "Right, listen, uh, Kevin, I." Uh, should tell you, uh, Dome, well. And right as they turn the corner and enter the dining room, they hear loudly, Hey, Mira, look what the cat dragged in. And Hamlet finished his sentence. Uh, Dome took to the life of the, uh, of the, uh, tri-state area quite strongly, uh, while he was here. That will turn to his did, did he just say, <laughs> Gat? Gat? Hamlet tells him, Yeah, it, it, it's Catalan for, for cat. For cat, with a cat dragged in. Torrent continues as they walk towards the table. It's about time. I was about to march off to the latest marvel Johnny's got up in Fountains of Wayne. Kevin, can I call you Kevin? You been up there yet? That's some quality handiwork. Not like that cool the old that got down it by root crotch. Farewell to Hamlet in a quiet aside. It's caught? So it's Catra. It's like, it's like four in Catalan. He's, he's, he's still kind of working out this whole New Jersey Catalan thing he's going for. Thelwell and Hamlet finally reach the table, though, and sit down across from Dome Turan. And, and Thelwell starts and says, uh, Well, Mr. Turan, it, it is a pleasure to. Then Turan bellows, Bujo, Bujo, Artur, Bujo, Vine, I'm starving over here. Entering from the corner is Artur Bujo, the uh, restaurant owner, who walks in with an extremely weary, exhausted face. Artur walks over to Dome and says, Dome. I've told you many times, this is a churrascaria. We are not taking orders a la carte. You paid me 10,000 Catalan euros to open this place because we have to create an entire rotating buffet of meats for only three people. We are currently violating Governor Murphy's executive... And Toronto yells and, and, and interrupts him. Listen, those are certified notes backed by the Bank of Catalonia, the Bank of Catalonia, backed by St. George himself. They are going to be worth millions once Independencia hits. And let me tell you, Mayo Meech, Independencia will hit. Arthur is exasperated. He's eager to move on. You get the impression he's heard this many times from Domain. He's received maybe many thousands of Catalan euros. All of a sudden, Arthur realizes that uh, Dennis Hamlet's there. He says, Ah, buenas tardes, Dennis. Domain no me dijo que estarás en esa reunión. Hamlet quietly, uh, trying to not get too much attention, says, uh, Gracias, Arturo. Uh, dime, si, si pro- and Torrent yells again. Says, hey, yo, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this Castilian? I thought you was a Portuguese. Arturo says, Dome, I've told you many times. I am Galician. I speak Spanish, English, and Galician. So well, meanwhile, looking to break the tension, just progress the meeting and get on with it. He says, well, thank you for, for having us, uh, Mr. Bujo. Arturo all of a sudden gets in a huff and says, Ah, madre de Dios, me trae un inglés, un inglés de mes, mi restaurante. Sabes que los ingleses hacen en el carte? ¿Quieres quemar? Then he says, No, 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 te preocupes, Arturo. Ar- Kevin es de Gales. Gales is how you say Wales in Spanish. Arturo says, Gales, Gales, like Galicia. Ah, my friend, welcome. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Toronto is uh, not not pleased with this whole thing going on. He says, Se acabado, bro, kill. 
which is a, a Catalan expression saying the broccoli is finished. Uh, this is bullshit, Arthur. What's this Galicia shit? Are you Castiliano? Next you're gonna tell me you're a friggin' communist. Arturo says, no, no, do not worry, don't. In Galicia, we are very fascist. Tron says, hey, cool, coolie merda, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, I am a Catalan nationalist. Yes, I love Franco. We exist. Thelwell uh, is understandably concerned, but um, relieved that at least the tension seems to have been resolved here. Uh, Tron says, let's get some bacala. Arturo responds, no, it, it, it's bacalao, bacalao. Tron says, bacalao. Arturo responds, bacalao. This goes on for, for several minutes, just correcting each other as to what to call this fish. Uh, as this drags on, uh, you know, that one gets a little antsy, and he looks around the room, and uh, he starts noticing some some things that are kind of off about this restaurant. There's some strange items. There's a, a framed painting of a large man with a burly head of, of white hair going all the way into his beard covering his entire chin, standing proudly next to two cats sitting on a luxurious pillow in a luxurious but very gaudy apartment overlooking Central Park. There's a framed Christmas party photo dated from 1979. Seems to include, uh, uh, could, it, could it be Adrian Heath staring, uh, standing at the center with all the employees in a tuxedo? Thelwell's been doing flashcards of MLS coaches and front office personnel for months, and he can't believe his eyes. He looks down at the carpet, and for the first time, he notices its strange tiled pattern. It's a pyramid with the eye of providence, like the thing on the on the U.S. dollar bills, like the Illuminati stuff. Uh, but instead of an eye, it's a soccer ball. So it's like a s- soccer pyramid. So he, he glances over at Dennis for a reality check, but, but Dennis seems to be sort of out of it, too. Like, he's having an out-of-body experience of some sort, and he's, like, communing with an outside party, or like some outside person, and uh, his shaved head is shining really brightly um and it's only at this point that Thelwell realizes just like how fully staffed and buzzing this restaurant is you know despite being closed to the public and just private to them it's like almost as if it's been slowly filling in with new people coming and seeping through the nooks and crannies of the walls of the restaurant resuming the the daily work of a restaurant after you know, decades past, washing dishes, mixing caperinas, rotating spits of meat around a flame. But the most decadent amenity of all of these by far is the dessert cart, which is a fixture at, uh, if you go to a Rodizio restaurant that kind of serves in this model, and it's remaining in full operation, and it's carrying an assortment of different regional flaunts and torts <gasps> with <laughs> its own dedicated server carting it around the little restaurant, offering it to you, even if you have your little red flag up at the table saying, I don't want anything more. But uh, something about the server feels familiar to Kevin Thelwell, uh, uncomfortably familiar. Uh, you know, Thelwell is wondering if it might just be a gnawing regret and guilt and the really unfortunate but deeply necessary actions at Bear Mountain earlier this summer, you know, the whole issue with the, the big uh, burning uh, tribute. Uh, he's been loath to admit it, but... He's begun to feel the blood of the Red Bull feigning from his veins the last few days, but he puts this out of his mind. Thelwell is looking down to his mobile phone, which is, of course, a Razer flip phone in pristine condition, as though it's just been taken out of the box. And uh, he decides to give a call to his top choice for New York for a new New York Red Bulls manager to check on their verbal agreement, see if it's still in place. At least they can still hire this guy, since this thing's such a disaster. Uh, but it goes to voicemail. Greetings, New 
Their food has arrived. This pronunciation debate that Bujo and Indome were having must have been resolved. So he, he prods at the fish and flakes it apart pretty easily, revealing a, a tender white color and, and says aloud, this, this, this is cod. This is fish and chips. You're screaming about what to call fish and chips. All of a sudden, all of the ambient sounds of the restaurant that had slowly been building all cut short. The lights dim. A, sto- a spotlight centers on a stage in the corner of the room he hadn't noticed before. A mysterious clarinet begins wailing. Bujo and all of the restaurant staff turn to Thalwell in unison as a chorus and recite. No, I, Chicharo. There is no pee. Nil de panic, Bacalao. Bacalao, I mean, Thalwell looks down at his plate. His fish is now breaded and is covered in a wet green sauce. Dome, meanwhile, has had enough, and he announces, fuck this, I, I, I gotta go to that piece of lead, which is pizza douche in, in Jersey town, Catalan. Uh, the chorus continues, this is all wet. No hay chicharro. And yet, taste tea. Thalwell pushes his glasses up his nose nervously. He considers bolting, he considers leaving, just never coming back to this place, leaving Dennis... Just getting the fuck out. Top priority. But then, a lone voice cuts through the confusion and finds him. Who, who, this lone voice? Who else? It's the dessert cart server that caught his eye earlier. Saying, Dave, Dave. glances over and locks eyes with the server, who is hiding very poorly behind the cakes on the cart. He whips off his fake mustache and says, It's me! Bradley Carnell! It's Bradley Carnell! I almost lost the invite to this meeting, Kevin. But luckily, I've been moonlighting in cybersecurity, and I can see all of Dennis's meetings in Outlook. Good thing I've also been moonlighting as a Portuguese waiter. He had to research more acronyms for the team's slideshows. You know, Portuguese has got several more diacritical marks to work with. You always have to keep your technical horizons wide, you know, Kevin. It's gone a bit weird here, hasn't it? Boy, this Dome fella's gotten a bit racist, hasn't he? You know, in Kinderhoven, which is what we call kindergarten in the Afrikaans, Bruce Grubauer came to visit, and I said, Mr. Grubauer, why do you keep saying Rhodesia? You're from Zimbabwe. You should have seen his face. Thelwell, though, is, is resigned to sitting through another meandering story like this. Of course, Carnell has found him yet again, despite his uh, invitation being lost in the mail. But at least he's safe in the knowledge that he is, in fact, still in the corporeal world if Bradley Carnell is here. So this, this cold comfort, though, is short-lived, however, when all of a sudden Dome Tehran comes bursting out of the bathroom he was in with this small vintage roll revolver a lot, saying, No one gives Dome Tehran a lousy bottle of Casiero de Diablo. Someone's gotta pay. New manager of old. Or old. As Tarant starts firing off shots in every direction, the dining room snaps into chaos. The lights come up. Hamlet is out of his trance. He, Thelwell, and Carnell all bundle out of the restaurant and pile safely into Carnell's Volkswagen Jetta. As they recklessly speed across the bridge, 
that many of us Red Bulls fans know, standing between the Ironbound and Red Bull Arena, over the Passaic to Frankie Rogers Boulevard, they come to a screeching halt. Nearly hit a pedestrian in the crosswalk. They stop just in time, though, and let out an exhale. It doesn't look like Jaume is following them. It doesn't look like the creepy uh, Arthur Bujo and all the chorus are following them. Pedestrian, meanwhile, steadies himself by placing a hand on the hood of the car. He glances upwards to reveal that it is none other than Moketa. Hamlet and Carnell yelp in surprise and floor it. They seemingly go straight through Gaeta's body, although Thelwell looks back in the rear rear mirror and he seems to be standing there completely unarmed. Thelwell is totally confused at his colleague's horror, uh, at why they would be so surprised to see a former player of theirs in the street, but uh, he's distracted ultimately when he gets a ping for a new email on his mobile phone. It's from Gerhard Struber. Subject line preview just reads, Yeah. He sighs relief, and he closes his eyes. They're back at Red Bull Arena. That's how we almost signed Domates. Well, I guess we didn't really get close, but we almost signed Domates Arant that way. That's that's how the interview went. Did you guys know that Domates Arant got really into the New Jersey life? Go figure. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, I believe it. What's not to love about New Jersey? About being from New Jersey? There's more space to build a nice big house with a deck you know winery oh i mean he he, he lived in he lived in westchester he he had kind of like a westchester vibe but he you know spent all his time and had his entire social circle in jersey he thought the sopranos was about westchester yeah well he he had (laughs) um like the his punch card for the uh getting another meatballs at the ikean paramus was like only one away from getting full. So he like, that's why he couldn't stay in Brazil that much longer because he had to, they don't have Ikea in Flamengo. They do have it in Paramus though. It's one of the largest in the world. So can't stay away. But I mean, I, who doesn't appreciate just a nice bit of marble fountain work at a uh, fountains of Wayne. I know I do. No, it's better than the Westchester fountain stores, which is why he drives over. Yeah, that's why it wasn't a fit ultimately at NYCFC. And I, that's why it didn't work out at Flamengo. You know, I think Domi will find a spot, but I, I I salute him for this glimpse into what it would be like if if uh there was a large Catalan diaspora in uh in the, the area. I mean maybe there is and I just don't know about it. But I, I think it's I think that uh, Ibero-British relations really need to improve. This has really taught us a lesson about that and that the British, the English in particular, really need to patch things over with the Portuguese. There seems to be a lot of bad blood there, despite it being the oldest friendship in the world or whatever. Get it together, guys. Get it together. But now we're in the safe actuarial hands of Gerhard Struber. So knock on wood, there's not going to be any more sorcery or uh, mysterious performances or clarinets blaring and uh bradley carnell as always will just be there even if you don't invite him he's gonna be there so there you have it yay the latest from pat benjamin who knows when we're gonna record next i don't know it's off season maybe in like a couple months when we're we got news maybe something big will happen yeah do we do are we doing the um traditional off the postseason episode which is this one the off-season episode and then the uh, preseason episode, is that how we're going to do it? We can, but we can just collapse it maybe because those were really, you know, those were after longer playoff runs and stuff. 
mm. and less um, weird schedules. So maybe, maybe, you know, probably, what, it's already December. Shit, maybe we'll do one in January, February. Maybe something no, um, no, um, what is it called? No anime episode this year. Maybe there will be one. I mean, I think, I think we just write our own anime now. Now, I mean, everything I said actually happened, but yeah. Right, exactly. But we can make our own anime about the players or something. That's true. That's true. Um, if you want to send us an email, as always, it's a uh, contact at view from 202. We can't um, promise we'll get to it soon. <laughs> we started remembering this year. We just assumed no one would want to email us anymore. Um, and other than that, find us on Twitch, where we're going to be uh, commentating on uh, the Danish Second Division, um, which is, of course, of an, invent- an invention of Football Manager. Um, because Denmark does not exist in real life. It only exists in Football Manager. So that's the, that's, da- the Danish second division in real life is all minks. It's all minks playing soccer against each other. <laughs> R.I.P. Man, Dan. Fucking fucking Danish minks. Jesus. You thought you had a bad 2020. Could could it? Well, I mean. I guess some people did have as bad a 2020 as the Danish makes. Moving on. All right. See you in 2021.